Okay, let's see. <laughs> you did not get an email due to the database migration. That's why you didn't get an email. And that's why the name tag's printed. Uh, oh yeah, you can print name tags now. If you're still having trouble printing name tags, or it still shows up as the Gospel of Mark, um, I guess we don't care, we don't want to know about it. That's your problem, not mine. If you need childcare, please email Anna Cottle. And class audio, no handouts. Class audio is available on iTunes. See end of handout for address. So we're on iTunes. It's also available on the church website, but uh, if that's too hard, some people know how to go to iTunes and you type in. So however you want to get there, it's up in both places. On the church website, right, on the church website is where the handouts are. So if you miss some handouts, the PDFs of the notes, which are the best part of the whole class, are there. I know. I know. Uh, you know what I like to do? I like to study the Bible on Sunday night. Do you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. I pray that your spirit would be our teacher tonight. Lead us and guide us into all truth. Your word is truth. We love you and thank you for your spirit's ministry to us and for what your word has to say uh, to your people way back then and even in 2018 today. Uh, thank you. Uh, we love you and pray for these things with much gratefulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Okay. You've seen American Idol. This is Old Testament Idol. Next, four sinners compete to incur the wrath of Yahweh on Old Testament Idol. Really? I thought that was a lot funnier than that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah I definitely resemble that guy. Family tree of faith. That's what we're talking about in Genesis. Uh, this, so, here, so what I like, well, what I love is going through the scriptures any night of the week, but particularly Sunday night. Here's what I hate, and it happened to me again this past week. I had to go to um, a famous big box discount store that might start with a W. <laughs> I went there, and you know, they have like one million shopping carts. Um, I don't know about you. Some people, I watch, I, I like to watch people. So I just, when I come up, when you come up and you see the cart, some people, they just write whatever the first cart is, they take it, and, and then they go. Not me. I've been burned too many times. You know what I'm saying, some of you. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you are going, I know exactly where you're going with this. I take it out and I give it a test drive. Because inevitably, 
There is one wheel on the shopping cart that is bent. And it's bent in such a way that if you just give it a test drive, you know it does this, right? It will not go straight. And that's before you've put anything heavy into it, at which point it becomes almost impossible to keep the thing moving down the aisle, right? You know what I'm talking about, some of you, the smart ones of you. So a bent wheel. I, I just I hate those shopping carts with the bent wheel. They just won't go in a straight line. You know what? Neither did Jacob. Jacob is a shopping cart with a bent wheel. And he just won't go in a straight line. He keeps wandering off. He keeps pulling against God and what he's trying to do until God finally says enough. That's our story for tonight. Jacob. Jacob is the man with the, he's the shopping cart with the bent wheel who has got to learn his lesson before he'll fly straight and right. Family tree of faith, whatever became of Abraham, as we've been making our way through Genesis, the big Toledotes, remember these are Moses' chapter headings, whatever became of Abraham, well, he started late and finished great. He started late and finished great. How about Isaac? Great beginnings don't guarantee great endings. Comfort and ease can breed complacency and decline. How about Jacob? He was chosen by God to receive Abraham's covenant promises, but he's a Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Jacob is a Frank Sinatra. He resists, he runs. And he wrestles with God for 30 years. 30 years. That's Jacob's story. Big idea for tonight is simply this. Jacob, who's going to run your life? Jacob, who's going to run your life? We pick it up in chapter 28 with Jacob. Remember, his name means heel grabber or deceiver. He's already in chapter 25, we looked at last week, he's already stolen the birthright, the uh, Ishmael's right of the firstborn. Remember, the hunter became the hunted, and he was actually caught, Esau was caught in the trap of his own appetite. Chapter 28, then, the heel grabber, the deceiver, stepped in in chapter 27, and he took what God had said was his, but he schemed to get it with his mother, he probably believes the ends justify the means, and so he deceives his own father. This is not a good thing. 
that he would deceive, but he would deceive his own father. And it turns out that Jacob is the perfect picture of a hypocrite. His words and deeds never match. The voice, remember Isaac, the voice sounds like Jacob. But I touch him and he's all hairy like Esau. Who is this? It's Esau, your firstborn. <laughs> Lie. He is the perfect hypocrite. You know what a deceiver is? I mean, a heel grabber. So I'm, I'm playing basketball in middle school. And I played center. The center doesn't have very many jobs. But his one job at the beginning of the game is to jump the ball in the center, right? And you try to hit it to your team to give your team the advantage. So I'm standing there. There's the line. I'm standing there. This is in middle school. And so you stood like this, and you got ready, and the other guy stood right there. Here's a, here's a deceiver. Here's a heel grabber. Okay, so I, I'm getting ready to jump, and there the ball goes, and I went, ugh. Because the cheater on the other team stood on my foot and jumped. That's a heel grabber. That's a deceiver. That is a sneaky scoundrel who was not playing according to the rules. And he would have won the jump anyway. But that's what a heel grabber does. It looks, he looks perfectly normal from, the, uh, from, you know, when you just see him. But he's cunning. He's conniving. He's a schemer. He's a deceiver. And uh, he'll do whatever it takes to win. So Jacob, heel grabber or deceiver, is a man who begins his life grabbing blessings. He's grabbed the birthright. He's grabbed the covenant inheritance. Chapter 28, he runs because Esau is going to kill him. So he runs. Verse 10 Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. He finds a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And it might be a stairway and it might be a ladder. Anyone else in the New Testament use this picture? That's right, the Lord Jesus. The ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending on it. He sees one that reaches from earth up to heaven. He sees the angels of God going up and down the stairway or the ladder. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What is that? Okay, when I call you at 2 a.m., your answer will be, that Bill, that is the Abrahamic covenant. And I will say, what are the three characteristics of the Abrahamic covenant? And you will say it is unilateral, unconditional, and unending. Remember, that was lesson two. Did you think you got to forget things in this class? You were wrong. 
unilateral, unconditional, and unending. And I will say, what are the three things that the Abrahamic covenant promised? And you will say, land, seed, and blessing. Here we go. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Jacob lacks spiritual perception and sensitivity. God comes to him and gives him promises. He gives him the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. What, how does Jacob respond? He makes a vow. After he set up the pillar and he pours some oil on it, Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, I mean, like, how many, how many codicils does, does Jacob add to this thing? If he'll be with me, so presence, if he'll protect me, and if he'll provide for me, so presence, protection, provision, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob gives God a contract instead of his heart. But he has some amount of faith, and he moves forward. Pause. Great place to add this in, though you know it. It bears stating, why does God bless his people? Because he promised to do it. Not because they deserve it or earn it or schemed it or vow or anything else. Why does God bless Jacob? Because of the promises he made to Abraham. Why does God bless you and me? because of the promises he made to Jesus. You see, it's Jesus' obedience that brings me blessing. It's not mine. It's him. Back to the story. A man grabbing blessings. He's grabbed the birthright. He's grabbed the covenant inheritance. And now he's trying to grab a hold of other blessings from God by making a vow, by making, in a sense, a contract with God. Chapter 29, we begin to see that uh, his name, now his name is going to get changed later on, but his name, God's going to change his name to Israel. Now, Israel is Israel. El is God, Israel. It means God struggles or God wrestles. Okay? Israel. Israel means God struggles or God wrestles. Jacob, we begin to see some wrestling with God. What's he doing right now? Running. He's running from Esau, but he's running. Now he starts wrestling. Jacob hurries on. He arrives in the land of the east. He sees a well. There's flocks. They tell us about the custom. 
Uh, Jacob says, where are you from? We're from Haran. Do you know Laban? Yes. Is he doing well? Of course. Look, here comes Rachel with the flock now. Jacob said, you lazy bums. You didn't know that's what he said, but that's what he says. He's going, uh, it's too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats so they get back out to pasture? We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived. <laughs> Lazy bums. Jacob's still talking to him. Jacob goes and moves the stone. Uh, then he kisses Rachel. He weeps aloud, probably because he strained something moving the stone. But he's showing off for Rachel. That's probably what he was doing. Uh, he says, hey, uh, I'm related to the guy who came up earlier and got a son for my father. So Rachel runs quickly and tells Laban. Here's what Laban is doing. <laughs> Last time somebody showed up from Abraham, we got a lot of stuff. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraces him and kisses him, brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, You really are my own flesh and blood. Jacob stays with him for a month. Laban says, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban has two daughters, the older named Leah, the younger Rachel. It's a lot that's made of the eyes no one really knows what this means. All we know is Rachel probably looked like a supermodel and Leah probably looked like a regular person. Jacob loves Rachel. I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel. Your younger daughter is my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. <laughs> this guy will deal anything. Stay and work for me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can marry her. So Laban invites everyone. There's a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. And he slept with her. What just happened here? Talionic justice. T-A-L-O-N-I-C. Talionic. Talons. Justice. Who has Jacob just deceived not too long ago? His father Isaac. His father Isaac was blind. So he is in the dark. Where is Jacob? In the dark. What senses does Jacob use to deceive Isaac? Sound, touch, voice. Sound, touch, uh, let's see, sight, sound, touch, and then some food, maybe. What happens to Jacob? He's blind, right? He's in the dark. Sound. I'm not sure Jacob cares, but if Leah said anything, she, maybe she could sound like Rachel. Touch. Again, I'm not sure what Jacob was, right? 
Jacob just knows he's touching a woman. God says, this is not the way we do things. And he brings back around on Jacob a punishment fit to his crime. Exactly. Jacob, let me show you what it's like to be in the dark. Let me show you what it's like to rely on your senses rather than to rely on me. And he doesn't just give him Leah. He blesses him with Leah. She winds up buried next to him. So whatever you want to make of this whole Rachel-Leah thing, Leah, in a sense, is the winner at the end of her life because she's the one who's buried in the tomb with Jacob. God doesn't just trick Jacob and give him Leah. He blesses him with Leah, though Jacob doesn't get it yet. He wakes up. It was Leah. Well, that'd be a sort of a shocker, right? Son comes in the tent. Good morning. Good morning, dear. What? Can you imagine? I mean, just wow. Jacob wakes up. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. (laughs) But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Jacob has just met his match. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. He gave them each a maid also. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Love doesn't seem to enter into the relationships that then uh, transpire. Jacob seems to have no problem sleeping. Now, in that time, that's okay. We look at this and go, "Ah!" it still is not a good thing. This is still a tragic thing. But in those days, that's how they had children. But this is still a tragedy, what's happening. It doesn't seem to stop Jacob from conceiving with women that, He's married to him, but they're not, uh, he doesn't love Leah like he loves Rachel. She begins to have children. I have two brothers. Boys are different than girls. I don't have a sister, so I don't understand this next verse. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. (laughs) That must be a girl thing. I don't get that. So she becomes jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. I kind of think of Rachel kind of like, what is one of the Kardashians? (laughs) Kind of a little bit of a drama sort of a person. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I God, he asked. He's the one who's kept you from having children. Then Rachel told him, take my maid Bilhah and sleep with her. She will bear children for me. And through her, I can have a family too. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, and he slept with her. Jacob seems to have no problems with this whatsoever. Bilhah became pregnant, etc., etc., etc. Meanwhile, Leah realized she wasn't getting pregnant anymore, so she took her servant, gave her to Jacob as, as a wife. Soon... 
Zilpha begins having children, and off we go. And they're going back and forth, and mandrakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac. And so when one of the sisters finds the mandrakes and wants to get them from the other one, these women are fighting over Jacob. This is just never good. This is not a good situation. Uh, so, uh, verse 22, chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. So she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. For she said, may the Lord add yet another son to my family. Whew. Jacob, he begins working. He works hard. He, he really works harder than those other lazy guys. Uh, he decides after a while that he's going to leave Laban. And so he says, give me my wives and children, for I've earned them by serving you, and let me be on my way. And Laban says, don't do it. I'll pay you whatever you want. And Jacob says, here's what we'll do. I'll take the funny-colored sheep and goats, and you take the normal ones. And that way we'll be able to tell if I ever steal something from you, you'll know it immediately. Laban goes, great idea. And then he takes his men, and he goes and he culls all those flocks so that he takes all the speckled and not normal ones, and he takes them away. So Jacob has got to start with only normal sheep and goats. Laban is a better deceiver than Jacob. Jacob uses some, uh, he puts some branches in front of him and he does some things and the flocks and herds grow. And finally, uh, you know, he, he's built up this, these giant herds that are his wages. And Laban's flocks are, meanwhile, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Chapter 31, Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Now, this could be at least 10 years. Don't think this is happening overnight. What's going on right now? Jacob has outwitted Laban, and he's figured a way to diminish <laughs> Laban's wealth down to nothing, while he has basically <laughs> used Laban's stuff to get very, very wealthy. The sons, why would the sons grumble? Well, because they're the ones who will get or wouldn't get the inheritance. Hey, there's no inheritance. Dad is getting poorer by the second. So Laban's sons and his servants are beginning to figure out what Jacob is doing here. Verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, What? What? Is Laban in a good situation, uh, sorry, is Jacob in a good situation or a bad situation right now? Let's say bad and getting worse. 
how many years has it been since Jacob has heard from God? Let's just say this has been 10 years. Seven for one daughter, seven for the other, another 10. 24 years. 24 years. When does Jacob hear from God? When things are great? No. Who has come looking for Jacob? God. He didn't wait till Jacob was in a great situation. He came to Jacob when Jacob had (laughs) made a mess of things. And look who shows up. God. Every time you think, I am in a situation and it's so bad, I don't blame, I don't feel God's presence. He must not be here. I don't blame him. You are wrong. If he'll do this for Jacob, he does this for you. And even when you're at your worst, God has hunted you down to be with you. And what does he tell Jacob? Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. What does he tell Jacob? Get out of town and move home. God is telling him, leave town. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. He said to them, I've noticed that your father's attitude toward me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I've worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages ten times, but God has not allowed him to do me any harm. On and on and on and on. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. Verse 9. Ten. One time during the mating season, I had a dream, and I saw that the, in the dream, the angel says, uh, look up and you'll see that, you know, he's telling him that the Lord is with this and, and helping him. I'm the God who appeared to you at Bethel, verse 13, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah responded, that's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. He's reduced our rights to those of foreign women. What, what, what did Laban do? The brother was in charge of the daughters, by the way. Not their father, the brother. The oldest brother was in charge of the daughters, getting them married off. What has happened here? Laban has spent all of the girl's inheritance on himself. He's basically sold them like cattle. And they said, there's nothing left for us. Head out of town. He's reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And after he sold us, he wasted the money you paid him for us. All the wealth God has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you to do. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels and he drives them in front of them. He packs his belongings At the time they left, Laban was some distance away shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household idols. And took them with her. Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, for they set out secretly. And never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob is heading home. 
And he did it conveniently while Laban wasn't around. He's headed out, and he's not telling. <laughs> he's just gathered all his stuff up, and he's gone. Three days later, Laban finds out. He pursues him. He catches him. He accuses him. Laban accuses Jacob of stealing stuff, and they have this thing. And finally, he says, look, all I want back are the household idols. And Jacob goes, Jacob doesn't know what Rachel has done. Remember Kim Kardashian? I mean, she's kind of, okay? She's swiped the, the idols, and then she puts them in a saddlebag in her tent, and then she sits on, on the saddle. And what does she tell Laban when he comes in to, you know, he's searching all the tents, and she goes, sorry, I'm not going to get up. <laughs> Having my monthly time. Now, if you were back in the Old Testament day, you would have screamed laughing right now because these idols would have been polluted. I mean, this is, this is like number two, right? This is, you might as well have put the idols in the toilet. And do you understand what I'm saying? This is a bad, horrible thing. You would have been just screaming. This is so funny because this is what idols are really like. They're just telling it to you in a way that you don't quite get what they're talking about. <laughs> okay, so they don't find the idols. She has the idols. Jacob becomes angry. They make a covenant. They set up a pillar, and they basically agree through clenched teeth. Oh, let God watch over us. You better not come on this side of the rock. You better not come on that side of the rock. Because if you do, I'm going to you do. This is what they're doing. Over the rock. So they finally move on. All right, what is happening here? In Laban's house, so there's a man struggling to surrender. First a man grabbing blessings. Now he's struggling to surrender. In Laban's house, he disciplines Jacob through Laban and Leah. He blesses Jacob with a growing family, but his wives are jockeying for position and status. God blesses Jacob with growing wealth, but he partly attributes that to superstitious methods of breeding. Jacob seems to wait for God's direction, but it sure was convenient that Laban was out of town when he remembers the dream. But leaves town secretly, and Rachel takes the idols. Guess what? Jacob is headed back to Canaan, to where God told him to go. Only one problem. Where's Esau? Because 24 years ago or so, I was on the run from Esau for my life. Hmm. I'm headed back toward Daddy's house. I wonder where Esau is. <laughs> Vroom! As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp, so he named the place Mahanaim. Why did God show him this picture? To encourage him, to give him faith. Jacob says, Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful picture of angels. Jacob sends messengers ahead to his brother Esau. <laughs> what does Jacob do? He sends out a scouting party, a recon party. He's living in the region of Seir. He says, give this message to my master Esau. And he 
communicates the content of the message. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob, verse 6, and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I've just escaped from Laban. I've made this uh, stone boundary covenant thing with Laban. And now Esau is on his way with 400 army men. I got a little family, and I got a whole bunch of sheep and goats. And he's coming, and he's got 400 men. You know, I don't think we left on real good terms. (laughs) Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels, into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. (laughs) This is your family you're talking about. Women and children first. That's what Jacob believed. Women and children first. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather, and he prays, and this is a wonderful prayer, Uh, And he he finishes his prayer at verse 12. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. And goes through the gift that he was going to send. And keeps some distance between the herds. Verse 17, he gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. You know, when my brother Esau, whose are these, what are these? They're your gift. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen in verse 19. Uh, Then look at, here's why he's doing it, the end of verse 20. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives His two servant wives, his 11 sons, and he crosses the river with them. After taking the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left him alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Hmm, this doesn't sound like an ordinary man. (laughs) Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked him. Heel grabber. Deceiver. Your name will no longer be heel grabber. Your name will no longer be deceiver, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men. Have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And then that tells you why the Jewish people don't eat certain parts of meat these days. It's, it's, it's origin. What's happening? Probably a pre-incarnate Christ shows up and wrestles Jacob. Now, the end was never in doubt. 
proven by he touches the, okay, you know that hollow place right here? He touches this. Now, if you're wrestling, what, what do you need? You need two good legs. What happens if you don't have two good legs? What, what happens if you only have one good leg? <laughs> you're going down in, in wrestling. You're going to lose. What can you do when you're on the ground? Nothing but grab your opponent's feet. Okay? The end was never in question, but God is wrestling with Jacob, and this is why his name is Israel, Israel. God struggles, God wrestles. He's wrestling with Jacob. Though the end is never in doubt, he's wrestling with Jacob. Finally, he touches this place in his hip. Jacob crumples because he's got no leverage, and all he can do is lie on the ground and cling to this man. This is a very interesting couple of chapters. Oh, wait, we can't. I gotta, oh yeah, I gotta finish this. Okay, Jacob looks up, chapter 33. Jacob looks up and he sees Esau coming with his 400 men. You know, it's like in the cartoons where they bite off their fingernails. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servants. You think I'm kidding with women and children first? Read this. This is what he's doing. He's sending the women and children first. Okay, then Jacob goes on ahead. At least he did that. As he approached his brother, he bows low. Then Esau looks at him, goes, who are all these? And what are the flocks and herds I met? And they go back and forth and back and forth. And then verse 12 Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my Lord, that some of the children are very young and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they're driven too hard, even for one day, the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. And I'll meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said, but at least let me assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Ah, that's not necessary. It's enough that you have received me warmly, my lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth, which means shelters. Jacob is trying to take Esau's temperature before he meets him. That's why he sends out a recon party. He's going, his plan is to buy Esau off to appease him with gifts. How does he get to that point? He plans first and prays second. Did you notice that? Here's my plan, and now I'm going to pray. Then he lies to Esau and moves off in a different direction. And you say, what? Okay, Look at the map in your handout. Seir is down here. Okay? So where do they meet? They're meeting over here somewhere. Esau says, let's be going on down to Seir. Jacob says, ah, we can't move that fast. We'll, we'll catch up with you. Where did Jacob go? Esau goes south, Jacob goes west. He has no intention of going with Esau. 
So he lies to Esau, and then he heads off to Succoth, right there, and eventually he's going to go to Shechem. This is the same Jacob. He just wrestled with God. Gosh, I love Jacob. Finally, Jacob moves on to the town of Shechem. There he sets up camp outside the town. Okay, this man is struggling to surrender. God has disciplined him in Laban's house. He's met Esau again. Chapter 34, he moves to Shechem. Okay, so he moves. He moves from Succoth. He moves to Shechem. He's no closer to Seir, by the way, and has no intention of going here. So he goes to Shechem. This is like you've moved, you've moved from Kansas City. You're going to go to Fort Worth, Kansas City to Fort Worth. You go by way of I-35. You come down, and you, you take the wrong I-35, and so you wind up in Dallas. <laughs> I will remind you that in the Bible, east is bad. He who has an ear, let him hear. (laughs) He has moved essentially from Kansas City to Dallas. All he's got to do to get back to Bethel is go to Fort Worth. That's all he's got to do. But he decides to stop. He stops in Dallas. That's what Jacob is doing. So he, he moves into Shechem. He settles down. One day, Dinah, now we know why we had one of the daughters mentioned in the birth order. Remember? And then she gave birth to a daughter named Dinah. And you're like, well, that's, why is Dinah in there? Because of this right here. Dinah. Well, Dinah is out where she shouldn't be. The local prince, Shechem, son of Hamor, sees her. Uh, sees, he S-E-E's her, then he seized her, and he had his way with her. But then he falls in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words, which is probably going to work. He says to his father, get me this young girl, I want to marry her. So Jacob hears that all of this has happened, but he's out with the livestock. Um, His sons hear about it. And um, they decide to strike up a deal with Shechem. Their deal is, um, okay, just have all the men of your town be circumcised, and then we'll marry, we'll intermarry with you. Now, for some reason, they agree to this. They think this is a good idea. Verse 18 Hamor and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal. Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. So they do this. These men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this... All their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. So they agree to this. 
Three days later, they're still sore from this. Simeon and Levi come in and kill all the men in the city. Pillage it and take everything of value out of it. Verse 30. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You've made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I will be ruined and my entire household will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. Oh, my goodness. So far, how has Shechem been as a decision for Jacob? Not so good. What has Jacob done? Remember the vow? God said, hey, remember, come back to Bethel. Remember the vow you made to me? Where was that? Bethel. He's got to make it from Dallas to Fort Worth. He's in Dallas. Jacob has said, this is far enough obedience. This is far enough, Lord. I'm close. He seems to put what's good for business ahead of what's good for his family. Dinah is kidnapped and defiled, and Jacob has foolishly put his family in danger. Why do the sons say this? Because in that day, you would have heard the son saying, Dad, some things are worth fighting for. And Jacob wasn't willing to fight for his family. And these boys, though they did it wrong, were willing to fight for what was really important. They got back in Jacob's face in a way that you may not hear if you just read through this. I mean, they poked his chest. And all begins because Jacob says, this is far enough. I'm close enough to Bethel. We're just going to settle down here. Chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, okay, wait a minute, what? Who shows up again? Is Jacob in a better situation or worse situation than when God met him last time? <laughs> I'll say worse. Again, God is not waiting for Jacob to be good. God is stepping into Jacob and his situation right where Jacob is. Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols. What? what? Purify yourselves and put on clean clothing. We're now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. What just happened here? What does Jacob's family still have that they've had now for 10 years? The what? The household idols? Does Jacob know, right? Before, when Rachel took them, Jacob didn't know. Does Jacob know now? Yeah, because what does he say? 
hey, family, we're going to go see God. Here's what I need you to do. Bury the idols. We got to get rid of these idols. We're going to go meet God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine getting a golden telegram from God? Get out of town, Jacob. I'd like to chat with you. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, everybody, <laughs> uh, bury your idols. I know we've kept them in our house for 10 years, uh, but it's time to bury them under the tree. So they dig a hole and they bury them under the tree. And then Deborah, Rachel's nurse, dies. And what do they do with her? Bury her under a tree. Both of them are oak trees. Very strange. They come back to back. I'll leave it to you to figure out maybe why they do that. Some have conjectured because that way they would know what to avoid. Remember, there's the oak of Mamre where Abraham used to live. And then there's this oak where they buried the idols. And there's another oak where they bury Deborah. So these trees seem to be landmarks. So it's possible that they buried them under a tree so they would always stay away from that tree. It's also possible in the same way like a headstone, because this tree would have been like a headstone for Deborah, that Jacob wanted to remember where they were in case he ever needed to go back and get them. I don't know. But very interesting what's happening here. No one's figured this out. You can write a paper on it. I'll read it. You can turn it in, and maybe you'll get the right answer some, some way, somehow. So he's in Shechem. They give him all the pagan idols and earrings. I mean, these aren't even secret. They're wearing them as earrings, these idols, in Jacob's family. Do, do you get this? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the third patriarch. He's got people in his house for 10 years running around with idols in their ears. Oh, I love Jacob. Okay, so they do all these things. Now, uh, let's see. He returns. Eventually, Jacob and his whole household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel in Canaan. Jacob builds an altar there. The nurse dies. Jacob returns. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Again, what just happened here? When God meets Jacob, what does he address? The promises that he made to him. If I were the God of the universe, you know what I would have done to Jacob? Twing! I would have flicked him off the earth. See ya! Pew! How does God behave toward Jacob? Say it. With grace. How has God treated you your whole life? And how has he treated me my whole life? For the sake of Jesus. With grace. You say, I have, <laughs> what? You said, Bill, maybe you're wrong in all of the ways you put this together because God certainly would have rebuked him or something. 
I'm not wrong in how I've put this together. I've showed this to you. This is Jacob. And when he meets God again, does Jacob give him a tenth? You've read the chapters. Does Jacob give him a tenth? Answer, no. Jacob does not fill his part of the bargain. Who fulfills 100% of his side of the bargain? God. And how does he fulfill it? Because Jacob earned it? Because of Jacob's obedience? Unmerited favor. Grace. He has always been a God of grace. One of the reasons I love the Old Testament is because you get to see pictures of real people who do real stupid things. And you go, how could Jacob be that dumb? And I go, how can I be that dumb? (laughs) All the time. And if that's the way God treats Jacob, and I'm in Christ, how much better does he treat me? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? Jacob didn't. (laughs) They're in Shechem. They're just outside of Bethel. He's kept idols in his home for 10 years because there are still some things in this life, in his life, that Jacob hasn't discarded and buried. At Peniel, there was a turning point. It's back a few chapters. Oh, and there's this pretty other interesting thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay, where is it, where is it, where is it? Uh, oh. Ah, it's chapter 35, verse 5, before I go to chapter, back up to 32. 35, 5. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people in all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family, fill in the blank, as they were planning to. What is Jacob afraid of? You've made my whole family stink, and we're, lo- we're small in number. They're going to gang together, and they're going to come wipe us out. What does God do? He says, get to Bethel, and he puts the terror... <laughs> on the surrounding people so that they don't pursue Jacob and his family as they had intended. Unbelievable what God does. Chapter 32 is a great turning point in Jacob's life. He's wrestled with God. Here's the question. Who will run your life, Jacob? Jacob defends himself, refusing to yield. But God touches his hip joint, removes Jacob's leverage, and conquers him. And all Jacob can do is cling to God's feet and ask him for his blessing. For 30 years, Jacob has been on the run. On the run from Esau and on the run from God. And with one touch, God says, no more running. And what happens to Jacob as a result? From that point on, he walked with a limp. Remember that? He walks with a limp. Why does he do that? No more running, Jacob. No more running. You're not going to run from me anymore. When we see Jacob at the end of his life, he's heard from God and therefore he goes to Egypt because God gave him permission. He prays first. And then he goes to Egypt. He worships while he's leaning on his staff as an elderly man. 
He prophetically blesses his sons as God's people begin to multiply. We've moved from a man who's grabbing blessings, who's struggling to surrender, to a man who waits on God, grown from that kind of man who grabs blessings by his own schemes to a man who is content to wait on God in utter dependence. In this Toledot, it's a story of resisting, running, and wrestling and faith. Jacob has spent 30 years wrestling with God and resisting his will. God finally says, no more running. Jacob has been slow to surrender, slow to surrender his heart, his will, his wants, and his idols. The heart of Jacob's problem is a problem of his heart. Let me make a couple of quick applications. Who's going to run your life? This is the point where everyone looks down at their paper like they're looking for the answer. I'm I'm hoping the answer is on my paper. (laughs) If I look up, he may have me stand. (laughs) Who's going to run your life? Is your heart slow to surrender? Are you resisting God? You know what and how to obey, you just don't want to. Are you running from God, maybe away from him, or maybe ahead of him? Are you wrestling with God? Like me, you're the shopping cart with the bent wheel. Let me ask you some questions. Do you give God your leftover time or do you give him your best time? Do you offer God a contract, not your heart? It usually comes like Jacob's did in the sense of if, then. If God does this, then I will this. Or if, when. If God does this, you know, or when God does this, then I'll do this. When, then. If, then, or when, then. You offer God a contract, not your heart. Or you offer God your heart, holding nothing back. A lot of people I know, they say, I've prayed for patience before. And they, I mean, people do this. Why are you praying for patience? I mean, don't you know God might give it to you? I said, wait, love, joy, peace, patience... This is a fruit of the Spirit. God is a good God, and he's good all the time. Why should I be fearful to pray for patience? The people who are afraid to pray for patience don't trust God. Do you think God is going to punish you? Is that what you think? If I pray for patience, he may give it to you. He may give it to me. He may, and it'll be a good thing. It'll be a great thing. Well, I don't want it. I know. Me either. That's why I want to offer God a contract, not my heart. Do you plan first and pray second, even piously at that, but then carry out your plans? Or do you seek God first and wait on his answer or a course of direction? And some people have asked me, okay, Bill, 
Um, what happens if it isn't clear? What happens if the way forward isn't clear? I don't know that I've heard from God. I say, when things are not clear, stay the course. When things are not clear, stay the course. Unless you're in danger, when things are not clear, stay the course. Maybe you rescue yourself by avoiding difficulties or by running or by scheming. Instead of look not for how do I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? Does your heart say, I've obeyed far enough? Lord, Shechem is far enough for me. I don't have to go all the way back to Bethel. I'm good. This is far enough. Or do you give God all the way obedience? But what if he has me moved, you know, overseas to be a missionary? What if he does? Praise the Lord. Is that a bad thing? I mean, imagine the most horrible thing you can possibly imagine. What happens if God, that's what he had for you? Is it not the best place to be in the center of God's will? Is that not the best place to be? Shake your heads like this. Up and down. Yes. Yes, Bill, that is the best place to be is in the center of God's will. What if that's a place with a famine? Remember, that's where Abraham was. Oh, what? Are you telling me that the center of God's will sometimes has a famine? Uh-huh. Isaac was in the center of God's will when he's moving around and he's got people fighting him. Are you telling me the center of God's will I could have conflict with people? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you that. But still, where's the best place to be? Right in the center of God's will. We're going to get to it so long from now, you won't remember I've said this, but Daniel is right in the center of God's will and where does God put him? In the lion's den. <laughs> is it not the best place to be in the center of God's will? Answer, yes. Does that mean it's a bed of roses that carries you to heaven? No, it does not mean that. Give God all the way obedience. Are you holding on to or hiding idols in your heart? You say, whoa, uh, I don't know. Okay, here's one idol. I know nothing about this one. It's called control. I'm sure I'm the only sinner in the room who holds on to the idol of control. How about pretense? Here's another idol. Pretense. You know what pretense is? Making you think I'm more than I really am. You come up to me and say, oh, oh, pastor, you probably spend an hour a day in the word and prayer. I, I probably do, maybe even an hour and a half. I mean, my knees, oh, my goodness, they just hurt. So it's so hard to get up at 4, you know, but by 5.30, I've got my hour and a half in. I've never told you that. That would be a lie. But there's times when people think better of us than is really true. And if I don't try to correct you, you might actually begin to think it's true. Um, I'm not up here because I'm better than you. I belong right down there. It's just tonight and these Sunday nights, I happen to be up here hopefully exercising a gift that in some way edifies you. But it's not because I'm better than you. I don't think I'm better than you. I'm a guy. Yeah, thank you, dear. Yes. 
discarding and burying the idols God reveals to you through his power. We need to continue to fight those idols. Are you holding on to a relationship your heart knows is wrong, but your emotions or your body won't let go of? Sign of surrender. Your relationships are aligned and in sync with biblical values and principles as far as it's possible with you. Are you more committed to living life on your terms than on God's? Or have you cried uncle? You know the Lord has touched the, that hollow in your hip. He's removed all your leverage. You can't run. All you can do now is lie on the ground and cling to his feet in utter dependence and cry uncle. Which is exactly where he wanted Jacob. Will you surrender yourself afresh tonight? To God. And so God passes the covenant inheritance from Abraham to Isaac and on to Jacob. Jacob experiences God's blessings in his life, including 12 sons and the 12 tribes of Israel. God sovereignly turns Jacob's resistance into surrender only after Jacob pays a high price. But God is preparing the way for his family to grow into his people in Egypt. For next week, read 36 through 50, The Life of Joseph, and we will wrap up the book of Genesis next week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for these examples of how you have always treated your people, how you've always treated me, and how you've always treated each of my brothers and sisters. You are a God of grace. You are a God of mercy. We love you and we thank you, and we are grateful to be in a relationship with you. Would you continue to lead us and guide us and teach us through your word and change us through your word and through your spirit, please? And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.